Should the Bible influence our politics? Welcome to Answers News for Monday, December 5th, 2022. Hey guys, I am Brian Osborne, that's Dr. Jennifer Rivera, this is Jessica Jaworski, and you're here with Answers News, a biblical commentary on the social issues of our day. And we're going to cover the recent Disrespect for Marriage Act that just passed in the Senate, along with many other articles. Let's jump into the first article for today, which is just that, dealing with the recent bill passed. Senate passes Democrats' same-sex marriage bill with 12 Republican votes. And so they call it the Respect for Marriage Act, which really... An, in reality, it's a disrespect towards marriage because God defines what marriage is. What's happening, though, here is that recently in the Senate, they have passed this bill that pushes basically same-sex marriage to be legalized uh, throughout the United States. Now, it's supposed to go to the House, uh, but it's on its way and most likely will have no problems getting passed through the House. So they're seeking to redefine marriage, uh, which, honestly, you can't do in reality. God made marriage. He defines what it is, right? But they're trying to redefine it. In a real sense, it's a spitting in the face of God, saying, Mm -hmm. no, you won't define marriage. We'll define what it is. We'll impose that on the people of this nation. So they're trying to get this passed. And then that's a big problem in and of itself. Also, along with that is the problem of how this will affect the practice of religious liberty here in the States. Because if you don't get in line and actually agree to or bow to their definition of marriage, and you seek to adhere to the biblical definition and live by that, well, you could be attacked or sued for that. And so it poses some really big problems there. Right. Ultimately, the state or our legislators, man does not define marriage. God is the one who defines marriage. He's the one who instituted it. And we see that back in the book of Genesis when he says that he created male and female. And we also see it reiterated by Jesus himself in Matthew 19, where he says, have you not read going back to that Genesis creation order? And this is after you know, they attempted to have what we say like three amendments to this particular bill because they were trying to just make sure three exclusions you could say to protect religious liberty, uh, both of which all three of which were not passed. Uh, you know that would have at least not provided complete protection for those religious entities and churches that would disagree with this policy, uh, but they um, did not accept any of them, and so there are really no protections in place at this moment. Uh, for uh, especially nonprofit agencies, right. Right. Uh, Christian schools, Christian colleges, um, institutions like that, that were, are definitely going to disagree with being mandated mm-hmm. to basically accept. Um, you know, th- with their definition of marriage. Right. Um, right. It blurred, kind of, yeah. yeah, for sure. It blurs the lines, too, of, of other types of marriages, too. That's right. what, what is loving? Is, is it loving to have a, a child marriage? Is it loving to have polygamy? Those types of things. So it, it, it blurs that distinction, which is we need to be in prayer for the people who are supporting this, for our legislators, and just be in fervent prayer for God's definition of marriage to remain intact. And going back to our original question that we opened the show with, should the Bible influence our politics? The answer is absolutely yes, because what is politics in a nutshell? It's legislated morality, right? Where do you get your morality from? Well, you got two options. Either God is your source, his word defines reality and morality, and you get your thinking from there, or you reject God's word and you're left with man's ideas as your ultimate authority, but we're all pulling from one authority or the other. And so as we think about how we engage the culture on these issues of marriage and so forth, it should be rooted in God's word as our authority who defines marriage, sexuality, gender, and so forth. And part mm-hmm. of the danger is, too, is they say there's a, a private right of action clause uh, that allows, it says, anyone right. harmed by a violation to bring a civil action for declaratory and injunctive relief. So basically, if you feel offended, right, by right. someone's... If you've been Dis, harmed, yeah, disregarding right, right of mm-hmm. this mandate, basically from the federal government, then those people can actually take you know lawsuit action against you, and this is where it could be 
cause serious problems. Yeah, yeah, I wonder if you so if you posted a you know a post on Twitter or Facebook that said marriage is one man, one woman for life, like the Bible says. Right. And if someone felt harmed by that, could they then sue you? Yeah, that's a good point. I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if we go to I that. I mean, that's strange, kind of what but, it's sounding yeah. like. Right. But yeah. Well, and so, and also, as you mentioned earlier, Jennifer, you know, there were three amendments offered by people to say, hey, listen, let's put in some religious protections for not only places of worship, churches and so forth, but even individuals to practice their faith in the culture, to live out their faith in the real world in a real way. Or for uh, ministries like ours, who aren't necessarily a church, we're not a church by definition, but we are a parachurch organization, we're a Christian institution, to put in place protections for those sorts of things. And all three, as you mentioned, were shot down. Why? Because sin is never satisfied. All right, the goal is not just to get this legalized, to get same-sex marriage so-called legalized throughout the states. Uh, that was kind of already done by a Burgerfeld, right, in the past. So this is really unnecessary on their end. This is meant to push an ide- ideology, to push an agenda, to make us bow to a particular way of thinking. Ultimately, that's really what it is. You see it being fleshed out in those different areas. And, and a Burgerfeld mm-hmm. kind of opened the door, you know, basically saying, you know, same-sex marriage has to be recognized. But now they're kind of making sure that door is permanently propped open, right? That's, That's right. what they're doing because they're yeah. worried. They see Roe versus Wade and they see That's this right. reversal they caught, which caused them to be scared. And there's all this, you know, they use that scare language out there that says, oh, well, now they're going to take back the right for homosexual marriage. So we have to make sure, right, that this can never happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's basically um, is what's fueling this. So. I think a good verse for this whole issue, uh, Hebrews thirteen four says this, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. God defines marriage. We should get in line with his thinking. That's always best for us. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. The next article, that, that was bad news. This is actually a bit of good news. Yeah. Take a second, let that marinate. <laughs> a bit of good news. It's kind of exciting. But uh, deadline passes for Biden administration to appeal ruling against transgender mandate. Plaintiffs held as great news. So what happened with this is that the Obama administration put in place this transgender mandate through the Health and Human Services um, that basically required doctors and hospitals to perform gender reassignment surgeries to any patient, including children, even against the doctor's conscience or medical judgment. And so basically they're going to force these doctors to do these sorts of reassignment surgeries, which is like double mastectomies or removal of other body parts, uh, puberty blockers, hormone therapy, going to make them do this in line with the transgender ideology and revolution, even against their conscience. This was taken to court, and I think in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and that court ruled in favor of the plaintiffs who are fighting against this mandate. Uh, A group of religious organizations, they sued the Obama administration and then later the Biden administration so they wouldn't have to do this in their hospitals. The court ruled in their favor. Now, the Biden administration could have went for an appeal to fight against that ruling, but they did not. And so the ruling stands. These these places, these doctors will not be forced to violate their conscience and do these surgeries. Yeah, so some good news for sure, because these are not just temporary things. These are life-altering procedures that have a dramatic effect for years to come. And often people who go, undergo these too have serious regrets and a lot of brokenness, and it's heartbreaking to see. So good news that, that this was not 
the case here. Especially with a lot of the narrative we've seen lately, especially in the UK, we were talking about that. You're mm -hmm. starting to see a dial back on this transgender agenda, and they're starting oh, yeah. to realize, well, look at all these serious effects that are coming out. All these people are now coming forward and saying, I wish I had this had never been done to me. You know, why did the doctors even allow this to happen? And so there's more and more of this coming out. Uh, so I think it's really good that we see this here, that it was kind of just allowed to expire. Uh, so protecting the doctor's conscious, uh, you know, if they don't feel that it's something that, you know, especially Christian doctors, because they are out there, right? Christian doctors who believe in the authority of God's word can now stand and say, no, I'm, I'm not, I choose not to perform this particular surgery. So. And as, as you mentioned earlier, Jennifer, we, we uh, have seen an uptick in those people who have gone through these different procedures, these reassignment surgeries. And then what happens is they... So they have what's called gender dysphoria, according to the secular culture. They, their biological gender doesn't match their felt gender. So they're born, they're born a biological boy, but they feel like they're a girl in their mind. So they have the surgery to try to make the bodies get in line with their felt reality. And they have these surgeries, and then give it a year or two years later, maybe a couple years later. Then they realize that feeling's gone. No, I do actually, I feel like I should, I'm a boy, and I want to be back to a boy. But then they've had surgeries that cannot be undone, or homotherapy that cannot be undone, and they feel utterly broken, right? Mm -hmm. And they've had these things that can't, they can't take back, and their bodies are changed for the rest of their lives in unimaginable ways. They're permanent patients. And so we have some of those testimonies in a video we did called When Transgender People Regret Transitioning. Check it out on YouTube. And their stories are heartbreaking, but should be a wake-up call to us for the need for us to be ready to help those people, to love on those people, and point them to the hope that's only found in Christ, even after some really bad decisions in their lives. So just be aware of that. It is everywhere in our culture today. Mm -hmm. Moving on from that, let's go to octopuses, because there is no good segue from that to this <laughs> next article. All right, we share smarts with octopuses, and now we know why. <laughs> so you're smart as an octopus. Congratulations, <laughs> all right? Uh, no, so basically, uh, octopuses can do some pretty cool things. They're pretty smart in particular ways, and we've seen that over the over from multiple studies now. And so they've been trying to figure out why they're smart and if they're related to us in their smartness, if you will, and in their brain development. And there's a new study that seems to show we share uh, some brain tissues, some microRNA types that seem to be shared by us and octopuses and many other creatures as well. And so they're saying, ah, since we share some of these similar brain tissues with the octopuses, then we, that, that shows our common evolution, that how these things evolved over time, and that's where the smarts came from, the octopuses, and this explains brain evolution. Yeah, they found microRNA in these um, octopuses, and M well, mRNA is genet it's genetic material that um, synthesizes proteins, so it's, it helps the body to make proteins, and it's um, this microRNA that's found in octopi um, are a supposed indication of cognitive function. So they found a lot of it in octopi, which they're, they're seeing also in other vertebrates. So they're saying, they're implying that that's shared ancestry because we see um, that similarity. But we know that God created all the animals according to their kinds, and we are not related to the octopus. <laughs> What's interesting is there's some, you know, there's some good basic, what we say, observational science here. You know, discovering right. yeah. this mRNA and the relationships that we do see, or as we would say, the term is homology, That's similar right. design right. between right. what we see in humans and what we see in animals, uh, you know, and in the octopus, as this article is about. We shouldn't be surprised to see those similarities. And that's good observational science. But of course, there's always the evolutionary agenda. And so I, I have to read this sentence. And this is apparently, you know, this is where how evolution started for the octopus. It says approximately 600 million years ago, an ancient worm with minimal intelligence scuttled across the floor of the sea in search of food. 
In the years that followed, its descendants diversified into two distinct taxa, one with backbones and one without. That's, that's, that's like, a lot of facts. That's you fascinating, that so well. right? That was so engaging. <laughs> that someone was there to observe that, right. right? So that's really important. You always, whenever you're reading these articles, always keep in mind, okay, what is observable? What is testable? Yeah. What is repeatable? Oh, yeah. Right. What is the good science? And what is the historical science? The interpretation science? The assumption science? Yep. Right. Uh, because often you're going to find that's what's fueling even the analysis, mm-hmm. you know, of the final results when you look at this. Well, you've got to separate the fact from the fiction, right? What's right. actually observed versus what you're interpreting, what they're interpreting rooted yeah. in their worldview, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got to read the next sentence. So where she left off, and though the descendants without backbones... The invertebrates remain relatively dim. That would be dumb, I guess. Those with backbones, the vertebrates, built increasingly complex brains over time. So they just built increasingly complex <laughs> brains over time. How did they build those brains all on their own? A whole lot of time. Where, did, lot of time. where did the information yeah. come from to mm-hmm. build those brains? Who had the blueprint for those? I mean, right. none of those questions are answered because they really can't be answered logically or scientifically. Mm-hmm. Right? It's mm-hmm. all rooted in their assumptions and their worldview. But it is good yeah. reading. It's entertaining. <laughs> uh, not necessarily factual, but right. there you go. Yeah. All right, moving on. The Canadian retailer Simons... Glamorizes assisted suicide as the most beautiful exit uh, in an ad. So this is a Canadian retailer uh, for clothing, and they are here in this particular ad ad campaign. They are pushing euthanasia. You say, why are they pushing euthanasia as a clothing retailer? There's not a really good answer for that. Basically, the one of the owners said, "Well, we're just we're really trying to not be so commercial, but we want to push values that we really endorse and want to see furthered in our society." So one of the things they value is that you should be able to kill yourself. Self-murder is something they value, and they want to push in their particular culture. And so they're pushing it through an ad campaign. There's a three-minute version of this particular ad, if you will. It's a video meant to push euthanasia, uh, self-suicide. But here's a 30-second version of that. Check it out. Last breaths are sacred. When I imagine my final days, I see bubbles. I see the ocean. I see music. Even now, as I seek help to end my life, there is still so much beauty. You just have to be brave enough to see it. So that in the video, that is Jennifer Hatch. She was 37 years old at the time of the video. That's the real person who was struggling with a chronic disease that gave her chronic pain. And she died by assisted suicide October 23rd in 2022. So it's a real person who died and is now gone through assisted suicide over in Canada. And you see how they make it so beautiful. You've got the nice music. This is her being brave, making this last decision according to the video. And if you just have the, if you just, you have the courage to see it, this is really beautiful and you should really buy into this. And this is dangerous for so many different reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's no hope. And honestly, it's just, it's just heartbreaking to, to, to see this as, as an option, too. And from a clothing company, it really doesn't make a lot of sense either. I mean, if you don't have people, you're not going to be able to sell clothes. So why get rid of people? I don't, I don't understand the, the campaign behind the clothing brand for it. And, and it's just... 
you know, our hope is in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And for these people that are suffering, and I mean, I know there's people in pain, and there is people of terminal disease, and there's people with extremely painful terminal disease, people in very depressive situations. Uh, the article actually goes on to talk about youth. We all know how depressed youth can be, and we see it in our culture today. There's just this huge increase of depressed youth and, um, you know, all horrible things that they're doing to themselves, much less a suicide. And it kind of makes it seem like, well, here's an out for you, yeah. right? Here's an escape from your suffering. Right. And the saddest part of that is if you don't know Jesus Christ, your suffering is going to be eternal and so much worse mm -hmm. than anything you've experienced on this earth, mm -hmm. you know, while you're alive. And so that is the true message here, right? Is that oh, we absolutely. need to just embrace every moment that we have that God has given us because he ordains when we go home to be with them, absolutely. right? The Bible is clear about that. Man is not supposed to make that decision. Right, and people have inherent value too. That Going back to Genesis, we are made in the image of God. We have that inherent value. Well, and the reason assisted suicide is wrong is because it is murder. And even if you kill yourself, it is self-murder. It's not your life to take. Even if your life is going through a painful circumstance, your life is God's. You're God's mm -hmm. creation. He determines when you are born and when you die. That's what he determines. Uh, we are meant to live in subjugation to that and to trust yeah. his timing and his will in all those things. Now think about the, just the, the opposing worldviews here and how they affect your view of your life. In the secular worldview, if you believe in evolution, big bang, you came from nothing, you are nothing, you go to nothing when you die. Life has no ultimate purpose or meaning. And so when you die, you're done, and really everything you do here has no value whatsoever. You have no value. You're equal to a fern or an octopus. Or an octopus right. or what, you know, you're equal to that in value. In the biblical worldview... You're made in the image of the living God with an eternal soul. You reflect his glory in an amazing way. You have eternal value because of that. Yet we've been broken by sin, but there's a way of redemption through Christ. Repent of your sins, turn away from your sins, put your faith in Christ, you have eternal life in him. Mm -hmm. And then in Christ, your life has eternal meaning. Even the pain you go through now, all maybe the the, just the different struggles you might have in your life, God will use them for his glory and your good eternally. Mm -hmm. And so even the pain you have now has meaning. Mm -hmm. And then there's a hope of eternal life that you're set free from pain, set free from struggle. You have eternal glory in relationship with Christ. We have hope in Christ, but it's only found in Christ. Yeah. And as Christians, we have that. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm you know, just, this euthanasia agenda too, in this article, they even address that. They talk about how, well, you know, impoverished people, oh, right? Yes, right? Who yeah. don't have, let's say, basic resources. Well, this is, this is a wonderful option for them. Or people who can't make the decision themselves, right, is what they said. Right. So if you think about people who may have some type of medical condition or, you know, or, or, you know, don't have what they consider to be the mental capacity to maybe relate their wishes, well, now we have an answer for them, right? We can just give them a nice, peaceful death and celebrate it. It's, it's just fascinating that we are even discussing this here today. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Jordan Peterson, even in the article, he, he was quoted as saying, death romanticism is very attractive to depressed adolescents and very dangerous for that very reason. So if you think about a, a depressed teenager who is looking for some way to fix their depression and they see this as an option, then they're going to potentially take that as an option. And, and there's some countries where children can already make that decision. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You think about how sad that is, as you mentioned already, that that person who does that, they have an eternal soul. Mm -hmm. And when you leave this life, you don't cease to exist. You live for eternity right. somewhere, right? Yep. And so we've got to keep that in mind. I love Romans fifteen thirteen. It says this, May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, believing in him, believing in Christ for your salvation, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We have the hope. Let's be sure we're sharing it. Amen. Amen. Amen.
All right, moving on. Science textbooks wrong. Hey, we can agree with that. <laughs> Yay. All right, another good headline. A 525-million-year-old fossil defies common explanation for brain evolution. And so they found this fossil of a unique critter, a variation of ones we see today, and it's roughly a half-inch long worm-like critter. And uh, its brain was preserved, evidently, as best we can tell. It's less than a half an inch, so it's really tiny, and it's really, I mean, but they found it's preserved. It's amazing the brains could be preserved for 500 million years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> not really. They're not that old, just thousands of years old at most, right? And so that's why they're there. But the way they found these brains and where they found them in the rock record makes them think they found a key to a brain evolution. In reality, they just found another example of God's great diversity in creation. Yeah, this is a, it's called a cardiodictyon. I think that's how you pronounce it. Bless and- you. <laughs> <laughs> it appears to have a segmented trunk with ganglion neural structures, um, but there's no segmentation that was found in the head or the brain, and they, the, that's different from mo- so-called modern arthropods that have um, segmentation up through the head and the brain. So they're saying that this um, segmentation that isn't found in the old ones is showing that there was a separation in the evolution between the brain and the uh, spinal cord, and that implies a common ancestry to what they see in vertebrates today, too. So they're making that connection, saying that, that that's an indication for that evolutionary shared ancestry. So basically, the reason the textbooks are wrong is it messes up their timeline. Yes. Right? And, and we discuss that, I think, almost every answer's news. Oh, my goodness. Is that there's, you know, here's yeah. new evidence that's now upsetting the evolutionary timeline. So now we're going to rewrite it, right, so to fit our new narrative. Uh, and we see that changing all the time. And, you know, these creatures have, a, a, you know, we see, do see other living things today that have nervous systems that are similar to us, that do have the ganglia, which is basically just like a cluster of nerve cells, organisms that have brains. And even though we may not see this exact structure, it's just an extinct organism, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That's just no longer living. Uh, it's just another amazing example of God's design and beauty that we do see in living things and how this particular organism functioned, right? Yeah. It had this unique brain attached to these ganglia, like you said, in these two different systems, which makes it unique. Uh, but the problem is that should not be where it is in the fossil record. That's right. And just to your point, uh, Jennifer, it says this, direct quote from the article, fossils of a tiny sea creature that died more than half a billion years ago may compel a science textbook rewrite on how brains evolved. And we literally get this all the time because this whole idea of evolution is basically, it's just the ideology rooted in secular humanism trying to explain life without God, and it does not work in reality. And actually, if you understand it correctly, real science will confirm the Bible again and again. And we, of course, love pointing that out here at the Ministry of Answers in Genesis. Yeah. that And, and real science does confirm, in, in this case, of them finding the soft tissue because that is an indication of rapid burial with a flood That's as right. well as a young earth. And they go on to talk about common genetic groundwork for making a brain. It's like, okay, who made the groundwork? Right. Right? Yeah. Who exactly. did this, right? And they used all these, this terminology almost that's very creation-oriented, mm-hmm. I would say, in this evolution article, and they probably don't even realize it. Well, so. And in that same area, it talks about they looked yeah. at many of the different arthropods uh, through the fossil record, living arthropods today, different variations of those, and they said there's a shared blueprint of brain organization that's been maintained throughout the fossil record until today. A shared blueprint. Imagine that. Hey, like a common designer, right? <laughs> right? Which came from God with a supernatural creation, not evolution. But speaking of evolution and all the possibilities of evolution. I have to say this is my favorite article. Today. Oh, my good yes. heavens. Okay. So uh, what if the dinosaurs hadn't gone extinct? Why our world might look very different. And so 
rather than summarize it for you by giving you just a brief summary from my mind, I'm going to read to you a short summary of the article. This is what the article is all about. Here we go. 66 million years ago, an asteroid hit the Earth with a force of 10 billion atomic bombs that changed the course of evolution. Notice how it's stated just simply as fact, fact, right? Mm -hmm. The skies darkened, the plants stopped photosynthesizing, the plants died, then the animals that fed on them, the food chain collapsed, collapsed. over 90% of all species vanished. A worldwide destruction of living things. Huh, Hmm. go figure. When the dust settled, all dinosaurs except a handful of birds, which according to evolution are dinosaurs, had gone extinct. But this catastrophic event made human evolution possible. The surviving mammals flourished, including little proto-primates that would evolve into us. It gets better. Imagine the asteroid had missed and the dinosaurs survived. Picture highly evolved raptors planting their flag on the moon. Dinosaur scientists discovering relativity or discussing discussing a hypothetical world where mammals took over the earth. So... That's the article in a nutshell. Now, to be very fair, this is not all secular scientists. This is just one in particular who's just giving a hypothesis about what he thinks with a thought experiment. That you looked it up what that I is, did. Right? I did. I was just curious. What, what is a thought experiment? And I looked up on Stanford. Stanford University defines a thought experiment as a device of the imagination. Meta-philosophy, they call it. So basically, it would be like us sitting down and kind of just coming up with a new idea, but then trying to give it validation. And speaking of imagination and validation to a very imaginative idea, so this is not a new idea. It's been around since the 80s at least, and so I forget the scientist's name, but they have this suggested. So this was suggested by someone back, I think, in 1984 or 1980, somewhere along there, where they say, well, if you know, dinosaurs never went extinct, they might have evolved into this, like the troodon or tropodon or something like troodon, something like that. Which would be, it says this, some scientists believe that if dinosaurs had not become extinct, Troodon may have evolved to become, an intelligent as mo- become as intelligent as modern humans. They have named this imaginary creature the dinosaurid, or dinosauroid, one or the other. And so there it is, the upright standing figure, that is your evolved dinosaur. <laughs> Just take it in for all its glory, Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of inherent assumptions and speculations just throughout this article. And as mentioned earlier, the the, talking about uh, birds as supposed dinosaurs, the birds are recognized as modern-day dinosaurs. But if we go back to God's word in Genesis, we see that he tells us birds were created on day five and dinosaurs on day six. So you can't have a bird from a dinosaur because birds were created before dinosaurs. So it's just important to go back to God's foundation. And they try to relate this to the sauropod dinosaurs. And they actually say in here that sauropods have hollow bones. Well, sauropod is an extremely large dinosaur, all right? If you kind of think of like an extremely long neck, so you think of like a behemoth or something, you know, that kind of creature did not have hollow bones, right? Think about the size of this creature. But what they had found is in just like the neck area of the, um, the dinosaur is what they look like indentations that they say could possibly have been mm. air sacs that could possibly have led to hollow bones where these don't look anything like the bones that we see in birds. And that's what we need to be clear because they're always trying to put this terminology in these articles because they want to link dinosaurs to birds because they're going to tell you that the chicken you ate for dinner is a dinosaur, (laughs) right? But it's not. Uh, But you have to watch for this in these articles that you see because you should be looking this and and you should be seeing right away there's a trigger that Mm -hmm. this is definitely not right. And just to be clear, it's a completely different design. Birds have a very unique scaffolding system in their hollow bones. Dr. Menton has a wonderful talk about that uh, when he used to do... I think it was called 
Form to Fly. Form to Fly, yes. And uh, Jessica actually does a great program here now, a Discover program called Feathered Flying and Ferocious, mm -hmm. where she talks directly Good about name. this topic <laughs> as well. Yes. Hard to mm -hmm. say, but thanks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting, as they're doing the thought experiment in this article, they said, okay, if the dinosaurs did not go extinct, could they be evolved to take over the world and be more like humans? They said it's not impossible, but it's not likely. They said the biology of an animal constrains the direction of its evolution. Really? According to who? Your starting point limits your endpoints. Now, that we do agree with. Yes. Your starting assumptions will guide your conclusions. I think that was the only sentence I did agree with I know, in, in the whole right? article. Yeah. Uh, but it's really interesting. But what it really just shows is how, man, if you do start with the wrong assumptions, you will get the wrong conclusions. And everyone's trusting something. Either you're trusting God's word or you're trusting man's word. And, of course, God's word should always be our authority, even about history and especially about dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. All right. And then... Last article for today, Jews and Arabs descended from Canaanites. And so this is a newer study looking at some of uh, DNA remains and roughly 39 different bodies from, recovered from different archaeological sites in what used to be Canaan in that particular area. And so researchers have concluded from those different uh, samples they took that modern populations of the region are descendants of ancient Canaanites. And so it's saying that the Jews of the day, Arabs of today, are descendants from Canaanites. Now, there are so many assumptions kind of buried into the research, but it will be interesting to see what the scientists and creation scientists in particular do with this information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's new information that we don't know a whole lot of, so it would be interesting to see, like Dr. Jensen, he does, um, he just has a book traced on um, human um, uh, history, and so it would be interesting to see maybe a response to that. And yeah, for anybody who's interested in that book, you can pick it up. And so I think the key here is, this is not surprising, right? right. We shouldn't be sh shocked to see lots of similarity uh, in DNA structures because we know the human population is, was basically everybody we see is descended from the three sons of Noah that, were, that came off the ark after the global flood. And of course, then we're all descendants from Adam and Eve. So right. finding these similarities is not surprising. And Dr. Jensen just goes, I think, in excellent detail in this book with colored graphs. So if you're not great at understanding the reading, he provides all the color-coded graphs, which I found very helpful oh, yeah. in his book, Traced, uh, where he has just fascinating research showing how, how, I mean, really, our population has exploded in our recent past, right? right. And now we can trace ourselves back through mitochondrial DNA. It is fascinating. And Y-line DNA. Y chromosome, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and really, it just shows how we're a lot more mutt than we thought we were, <laughs> right? We're a lot more close related than we thought we were. And that really, he points out in the book, the roughly 6,000-year time frame for the Earth is really the hero of the plot. It explains so much what we see in actual genetics in an amazing way. And so it's a great resource. So I encourage you to check that out. Also, he's got a whole series of videos uh, on YouTube that you can go check out at our, on our YouTube page. Interest TV, too. Uh, I believe Interest it's on TV. there. Absolutely. So lots of good stuff there. Check out the book. It is really well done. A couple of other books, too, we have there. The book Glass House. Great book, deals with a lot of the iconic arguments for evolution. We mentioned homology earlier, or vestigial structures or stuff like that. There are great biblical answers to all those things. And then this one right here, the war on the, the gender, I'm going to say it right, the gender and marriage war. There we go. And so this is really done with the attack on biblical authority in regards to gender and marriage. And man, don't we see that today? And giving you good biblical answers to all sorts of questions on that. And then there on the end, thank you, Jennifer, The Sanctity of Life, a whole DVD set dealing with issues of abortion, euthanasia is in there as well. I mentioned that earlier today. And there's some really good biblical answers on those things if we start with God's Word. And so I encourage you to check out those resources so much more. You can find those videos probably on Answers.tv as well. 
And also, our answers Bible curriculum, a couple quick things to wrap up here. We got it for Sunday schools and for homeschooling. It's a chronological uh, logical cu- curriculum goes through the entire Bible chronologically. It does apologetics as you go through, follows the gospel theme all the way through biblical history. It is amazingly done, amazingly powerful. Really connects the Bible to the real world in a powerful way, gives good answers in a real way. It's a great resource. So I encourage you to check that out either for the Sunday school setting or the homeschool setting. And then this last one, we got explore camps coming up. I'll let Jennifer speak to yeah, that. Yeah, so those are actually live for registration. So I'm really excited about this because we had requests uh, for individuals who wanted to buy this for their kid for uh, summer as a Christmas gift. Uh, so we really pushed to get this live by December 1st, and you can actually register now online. So we encourage you to do that. We have a very first Explore Junior Camp next summer, which will be for parents and their child, ages 5 to nice. 10. Of course, you can register more than one child. So Brian, if you want to come with your two little ones, you I could. That I would be awesome. Yes. Uh, so we're really excited about this three-day camp this summer. We also have our Forensic Science five-day camp and our five-day science camp. So go to our website for more details. They really are awesome. Your kids will love it. You'll love it if you get to go with them. You'll learn so much, have a blast. And so so encourage you to check that out. But that is all the time we have for today. So glad that you're here with us and we'll see you guys next time.